Good morning. Welcome to Willingdon. My name is Willie. I'm one of the pastors here at Willingdon and excited to be able to share with you our continuing e-transfer series. So we exist as a church to know Jesus personally and to carry on his ministry. And then we have the five E's that kind of explain that at Willingdon. So Pastor Ray did a great job uh, a couple of weeks ago of starting with exalt. What does it mean to worship? Uh, to evangelize, what he talked about last weekend. Today I'm going to be speaking about what does it mean for us to engage, to be a home uh, for all people, as we pray Willingdon uh, will be. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, or if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 911. Now let's pray and then we will dive in. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the beauty of your creation. I thank you that we can come together and worship this morning. I thank you that you are present in the Holy Spirit this morning, that you want to speak into our hearts. Whether, Father, whether we come needing a word of encouragement or whether we need to learn something or whether we want to be challenged perhaps by something. Father, thank you that you tell us to seek, to ask, to knock because you want to answer. You want to open doors speaking into our hearts and into our minds and I pray you will do that this morning as we look at Acts chapter 2. In your name I pray, amen. So uh, a number of years ago when we were living in Calgary, uh, I bought an old four-wheel drive, an old land cruiser, because I wanted to go play in the mud uh, in the mountains. And, uh, and so I did that, uh, and I bought an, an old uh, Toyota land cruiser, right-hand drive, so you're driving on the wrong side or sitting on the wrong side of the vehicle in Canada. Uh, but it's a great four-wheel drive vehicle, and we're going to show you a picture of it. There it is, sitting on our driveway in Calgary. Uh, so we had a lot of fun with that vehicle. And so one day I took that truck, as I, as I got it, and I wanted to figure out four-wheeling. And so I went to a place called McLean Creek, which is just out, uh, 30 miles west of Calgary in the mountains, in Kananaskis country. And I uh, wasn't quite sure of all the rules and the etiquette of off-roading. And there is etiquette, as there is to everything. Uh, so you didn't want to mess up. Uh, but so we started driving and going down a trail and, you know, mud and everything. And, and sure enough, like within the first hour, I got hopelessly, helplessly stuck. Like mud, you know, past the axles, tried digging out. That didn't work. Took the winch. There's a winch in the front of that vehicle. Took it to a tree. That didn't work. I was completely stuck. So I thought, okay, now what? People are going to come. I'm blocking the trail. You know, etiquette ruined. Didn't know how to behave. You know, so... We're sitting there and suddenly I hear this noise and I look and there is a huge 4x4, big Chevy 4x4 uh, coming down, uh, down the trail towards us. Kind of looked like that. And it had that flag too. Okay, like it was a good old redneck truck and uh, I could hear the heavy metal rock and roll playing out of the windows. There were guys hanging out the windows, guys in the box. They're hooping and hollering. Each one has a beer in hand like they are well lubricated and ready to go. And I'm thinking, is this good news or bad news? Are they going to yell at me for being in their way? What are they going to be? So the guy pulls up, he's yelling louder than the music, you know, looks like you're stuck. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck. And I said, do you think you give us a hand? He says, do you got any beer? <laughs> that was going to be the currency, apparently. <laughs> Sorry, no beer. Okay, we'll pull you out anyway. And then he says this. He said, because we know at some point when you're out in the bush, everyone is going to need someone else's help at some time. 
And in that moment, and they pulled us out, went on their way, you know, well lubricated and moving along, thankfully in the bush, not on the highway. But, but I, realized, I realized he just gave a profound explanation of being engaged in community. And understanding that all we had in common is we're both off-roading, you know, in the bush. That was our point of connection. But he understood that at some point he would need help. And so he offered help on this day. And I thought, that's actually a profound understanding of community. That's what bonded us together. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience where someone has reached out to you or someone has done something for you to help you out and your only bond, perhaps you were traveling and something happened or maybe you're in a life group and something happened. You had something that bonded you together. You lived in the same neighborhood and simply because of that, they went over and above. If that was your experience. Those are wonderful experiences. And I think whenever we walk into a community, so when I drove out there, I'm like, hey, I'm not quite sure how this works. Uh, You know, what are the etiquette? What's the rules of off-roading? Trying to figure that out. But I realize we do that whatever community we walk into. So you walk into church, first time you walked in here, you're wondering, how does this place work? How do people connect? Do I belong? Will I fit? How does that function? You know, I know we all do this. This is human nature. The first thing you do when you walk in to see if you fit, you're wondering, am I dressed okay? Like you, I don't know if you've had that experience. You walk in and you realize, I am so overdressed for wherever you walked into. I remember being in Tim Hortons one day and, and a bridal party walked in. <laughs> to Tim Hortons. Because I guess in between the wedding and reception, they needed Timmy's. So of course everybody talks, right? Because it's unusual. They're overdressed. If you're underdressed, you know, you go, Oops. It's black tie and I came in shorts. (sighs) Feeling a little naked, right? So you walk in church, you do the same thing. You wonder, is this a place where I will find community? Is this a place where there will be this bond? Historically, I found the greatest bonds growing up, you know, it was typically around sports. You're part of a team and you bond around this shared goal of wanting to win. Win the game, win the championship, that kind of thing. And so you sacrifice for each other to do that. But when I think back over the years, the greatest times I've had actually was bonding around the cause of Christ in community. Being on uh, short-term missions trips where you're in difficult situation perhaps, you're in uh, unfamiliar territory, the weather maybe is completely different than what you're used to, and you come together for this cause of having this impact for Christ in this place that's unfamiliar to you. One of the greatest experiences we ever had was when we moved to Calgary in 1994, my wife and and at that time, two little boys uh, to start a church. We'd never lived in Calgary, didn't know Calgary, and solely God formed this group of people to get this church off the ground. And I remember the bonds we formed as we worked together, as we sacrificed together. And whenever we run into each other to this day, we immediately talk about how God worked and how amazing that was. And it created this incredible bond. And when I look at the book of Acts, chapter 2, page 911 in your, in your pew Bibles there, we have this amazing story of how God poured out his Holy Spirit in the beginning of the book of Acts and this first church is formed. And so you take these 120 disciples meeting in the upper room in chapter 1 of Acts and, and, and they're afraid. And then the Holy Spirit pours out on them in Acts uh, 2, verse 4, and suddenly everything changes and this first sermon is preached and Peter who's incredibly bold now, preaches a sermon and calls people to faith in Christ and to repent of their sins. 
And in verse 40 and 41, the people say, what should we do? How should we respond? Peter says, repent and be baptized. And it says 3,000 people responded. Now, typically, when they give numbers in the Bible, because of the culture, usually it's just men who are being referred to. So likely the number was much greater, actually. And then we get the description in Acts 42, chapter 2, 42 to 47, of the formation of this first church community and what that first church community looked like. What did it mean to be engaged in community where they all found a home? And the picture we're given there, I think, is a picture that's normative for us in church life as to what we are to pursue. So what did they do? You have 3,000 new people coming to Christ. And as I said, probably more. Like there was no building for them to meet in. There was no, you know, parking team. There was no welcome center. No cafe for the 3,000 people to get the free meal first time they showed up. There was none of that. So what did they do? Verse 42 says... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. So they probably had a rhythm of going to the synagogue because these were all Jews and there were formal times of prayer. And so there would be large group teaching just like Jesus did in the synagogue as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they did that, but then also they, they spread out. So it says they had times of fellowship. So they're eating together. They're learning the apostles' teaching. And and so if they met in people's homes to do this, you have at least 3,000 people. And I've seen the size of some of those homes back then as I've gone to some archaeological digs. You think, okay, well, how many people fit in that home? Well, maybe 20, 25. If it's 25, 3,000 people, that's 120 homes. You add probably women and children, so now you might be double that many homes. Only 12 apostles. So the teaching would have gone through others that they would have been teaching. And this community was formed where they prayed together, they ate together, they had communion together, and this community was built. And this trans, this, their lives were transformed and that started impacting others as that transforming reality spread from them. Here's the main point of this morning. When we engage in spirit-filled community, it changes us and it impacts others. When we engage in spirit-filled community, it impacts us and changes others. And we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning explaining what that looks like from the following verses. So if you're a Christ follower here this morning, if you're giving your life to Jesus to follow him, receive his his forgiveness, be filled with the Spirit, do you remember back when that happened and the first people you were hanging out with? Now, maybe it happened as a child and and it just sort of grew in you. But if it happened as an adult, you probably had people around you who you went, man, I want to learn from them. I want to be with them. I want to understand how to do this, how to live this life. I know for me, I was 18 years old. I was actually at Bible school and I'm with these 60 or so people on the top of a mountain in Colorado. And I met people whose lives just impacted me so profoundly and I wanted to hang out with them to go, how do you have that attitude? How did you follow God in obedience? How did you understand that? How do you read your Bible? How does this apply to your life? And it started shaping me in this dynamic faith community. Now, we're still people, so there's still relational stuff. And one of my semesters, I'm in a room with seven guys, you know, three bunk beds, one single bed, crammed into this room aged 18 or 17 to young 30s. 
It's a smelly, stinky room of men. And some guys were rule keepers. You know, they said, lights out at 10 o'clock. And then as soon as it's 10, they're running to the door, turning the lights off. And a few others of us who didn't really care about rules that much. And then we're trying to figure this out. But yet in the midst of that, God is working and shaping us and shaping me in profound ways. That first church spent time together focused on teaching and fellowship and food. And then we're told what this now looked like, this community. And the first thing we're told in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So when we engage in a spirit-filled community, we expect awe-inspiring experiences. When we engage in spirit-filled community, we expect awe-inspiring spirit. Acts 2 shows us this is normal. And if you go through church history, this is normal. It's normal because the, the apostles were teaching what Jesus taught. They were doing what Jesus did, what Jesus trained them to do. Now, depending on your experience, you might think, well, that's not normal. That hasn't been my experience. But so often around the world, that is a normal experience. And at times, that has been a normal experience in the communities I've been a part of. And I know in, in Willingdon, there's history, and I think we're going to hear testimonies at the prayer summit about how there have been awe-inspiring experiences. As I said, the disciples were simply doing what Jesus showed was normal to do. At Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. That's what the disciples learned. So when they were sent out, they were told, go preach the kingdom, go heal the sick, go cast out demons. They said, this is normal. And this is what the community was doing. Giving evidence to the kingdom of God. So I was thinking back to some of those normal experiences, the awe-expiring experiences. And we were having a, a weekend service a number of years ago. And uh, uh, kind of like we heard about our prayer summit, you know, where we're going to be praying and, and asking for God's healing for individuals and, and, uh, and for, um, for our country. And so we were having a Sunday morning like that. And it was specific to healing. And at the end of the service, we were going to pray for healing. And, and uh, one of our prayer folks uh, had felt impressed that we should tell people, we're going to pray for people who can't have children, who are struggling with infertility. And so we, we just said, okay, we're going to have a prayer time, and specifically for people who can't have kids. So there was a couple there, Sheldon and Christina, and uh, they couldn't have kids. Uh, she was suffering very painfully from endometriosis, and so they came forward for prayer. And they were excited in and, and the, and the prayer time, and, and, the, and she writes, she said, it was an amazing prayer time. It was the Spirit of God. I could feel the Spirit of God just pouring out on me, and I just felt His presence and His peace. And so they were prayed for, they went home. That afternoon, her pain got worse. Her pain increased and she thought, well, okay, you know, I'll do, I'll live with whatever God gives me. And then we had another meeting that night and that evening, Sheldon and Christina decided, so we're going to go back tonight, but I'm not going to ask for prayer. We're just going to go pray for other people. That's why we're going. We just want to go worship and pray for other people. So in the middle of worship that evening, Suddenly, Christina feels compelled by the Spirit of God to get down on her knees, just as a response uh, to the presence of God in, in her life. So she gets down on her knees in worship. Now, there's a backstory to this. For the previous year, she had felt, Sunday after Sunday, God telling her, Christina, I want you to get down on your knees and worship me. 
Christina is a very proud, competent young woman. And Christina, week after week, said, nope, not going to do that. Nope. What will people think? People may be watching. I'm not going to do that. But this Sunday night, she didn't even think about that because the Spirit of God was just so heavy on her in such a wonderful way that for her it was just this, this wonderful act of worship that she responded to. She prayed for other people. Her husband prayed for other people. They went home that evening. They got home, and suddenly she realizes, there's no pain. I feel great. The next day, no pain. The next day, no pain. The next day, no pain. She actually, has to, she actually had to start fighting her own fears, going, I hope there's no pain the next day. Like she had to live in that, that spiritual battle. A couple of weeks later, she starts feeling ill. And she goes, hmm. Runs to the drugstore. Goes and buys three pregnancy tests. She checks three times. Positive, positive, positive. She starts doing the math. Sunday night or Sunday, she goes, that timing-wise, it had to be that day that I was healed. Twelve months later, I'm dedicating their firstborn child. Awe-inspiring experience because of the presence of God. And I know what happens again and again and again. Because that is how God works. And God has done that in our community here as well. And I, I learned such a lesson on one of my missions trips that I figured out this is actually what people who meet God expect to be normal. So I'm in Mozambique and, um, on a, with a missions team. And we're going to, to villages out in the country. Like it took us all day to get there. Four-wheel drive. You know, you're on pavement. You're on gravel. You're pushing down sort of goat trails to get to these places, places where like a medical doctor will never come, places that are destitute, mud hut villages. And so we get there, and I get out of the missionary's four-wheel drive uh, vehicle, and I walk up to this little fire to warm myself because the sun's going down. And at that point, I get to the fire, and this, this uh, lady who saw us uh, arrive and saw me get out of this vehicle walks up to me with her infant and puts her infant in my hands as I'm standing by the fire. And, as, and I take the infant and I can feel the fever burning. Like the kid is just on fire. And I realize, oh, she wants me to pray for healing. So I start praying for healing. As I'm praying for healing, I, you know, my eyes are closed. I'm looking, or I'm head down. And I look up and the line is forming behind her. Here's what I learned as I debrief with the missionary. Is these people go, oh, you're with the mission. You're with the church. This is what church people do. You guys showed up, so obviously you're going to be praying for healing. And God will heal. It had nothing to do with me. They just went, this is what God's people do. This is just normal church behavior. And I went, they're right. They're absolutely right. That's what you do. Because when you live in a spirit-filled community and engage in a spirit-filled community, you have... You expect awe-inspiring experiences. Now, did everyone we pray for get healed? No, but a bunch of them did. We went to another village and a similar scenario, except here where we're going to leave and we're just waiting around before we can leave. And in these villages, what's very typical is there will be a witch doctor. And you know who the witch doctor is because he actually has a sign out. What's the sign? It's a, it's a tree, like a flagpole with a white flag, a white piece of cloth, and that's their office. That's how you know. And most of these villages had that. So the medical doctor will never get to that village because they don't go into the, into the bush in most of these places. And so actually they're going, okay, well, who's going to heal my child, Jesus or the witch doctor? 
So they come to the women uh, in our group with a baby again, and through a translator, figure out, okay, again, you can feel the baby, the fever's hot, uh, burning, uh, because they have so many sanitation issues, so kids are getting sick for reasons that would never happen here. And this child had a string tied around its waist, had a string tied around its neck, because going to the witch doctor, the witch doctor would be calling on the spirits to heal the child, and then they would, they would bind the spirits to the child through, symbolically. So our team said, well, you have to decide. Do you want Jesus or the witch doctor? Like, who, which authority are you going to? There's two authorities in this world. Which one are you going to? The woman says, Jesus. Okay, we're going to cut off these strings. Cut them off. Which also means she's declaring, I follow Jesus, not the witch doctor. So there's going to be trouble for her after we're gone. She does that. They pray over the child. Child's healed. The lineup starts again. People are going, we want Jesus. Because we recognize who he is. See, it's normal. It's normal for us to pray. Does that mean every person's healed? No, it doesn't. But it's normal to expect awe-inspiring experiences in the people of God. It's also normal when we engage in spirit-filled community to take care of each other. That's what we learn here in the book of Acts. So the first thing is that people were in awe because of the miracles that were happening. The second thing is the verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distri- distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Remember my beer drinking, you know, redneck four by four buddies? Right? Everyone will have need at some point. They were distributing sacrificially, generous, generously as people had need. Now, we read this verse, and I know I read this verse in Acts chapter 2, and it actually makes me uncomfortable. Because I live in this 21st century, independent, self-sufficient world. You know, I read this and I, and I was thinking, okay, how am I going to preach this? This sounds like communism or socialism or some kind of commune or, right? This sounds like something like that when we read this. But that's actually not what's happening here. They weren't practicing anything like that. There was no campaign that the apostles put together and said, you know, we want we money and to redistribute money from the rich to the poor. There was no government program that was happening. Right? In Canada, we say you take care of yourself or there must be a government program for you. That's kind of our thought here. That's not what was happening here. There was no program. There was no campaign. There was no push. What was simply happening was the Spirit of God was working in people, and the people looked around, and they saw some need, and the Spirit of God prompted them to sell whatever they, he told them to sell, took the proceeds, went to the leaders in the community, and said, here, you guys take this and figure out who needs it. The poor people weren't going to the rich people and saying, hey, you owe us. The rich people weren't going to the poor people and say, I have so much more than you, I feel sorry for you, so I'll help you out. There was none of that. This was a joint community filled with the presence of God. And our God is a God of generosity. That's who he is. For God so loved the world, he gave. The heart of God is to give. The mark of the people of God is generosity. Because that's who God is. When we reflect God, we are generous. Now, contextually, think about this. This is a Jewish community. 
If you look at Jewish history and Jewish giving, uh, the things they would participate in, the regular weekly giving, all their festivals, and so they gave different things at different times of the year depending on which festival and so on. But for many, normal giving was giving away 30% of their income. Like that was normal. So these are good Jews, right? This was preached to Jewish people. This is by the synagogue. Like this isn't out in the fringe. This isn't a bunch of Gentiles. These are people who knew how to give and, and they were doing this on top of what they were regularly doing. Spontaneous generosity because of their experience of God. Now I've had many people, uh, many conversations as a pastor over decades, you know, you talk about these things and you go, wait a minute, pastor, you're just getting a little carried away here. You know, as, as, uh, especially, you know, I'm a baby boomer. So baby boomers, we want to give money to where we want to give it because we want to feel about who we give it to and how it's being used. That's how I feel quite often. But I read the text and I go, that's actually not an option in here. In fact, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Because everything we have is from God. Right? Every resource, every ability to make money, every dollar we are given is from God. And this is a response, spontaneous sacrificial generosity because the Spirit of God filled their community and they responded to what God laid on their hearts. Now, we often can struggle with these things because for some of us, we believe the money we make is ours to do with as we please. But that's not in the Bible. For some of us, we fear giving away because we wonder how we're going to be taken care of and we don't trust God for provision for us. And so we always say, well, no, I always have to have extra. I always have to have more because that's how I feel secure. God says, no, trust me. Because the Bible teaches everything we have is from God. And that's why the generosity in the book of Acts is so impressive. It's so awe-inspiring because these people just were spontaneous. They were living out the heart of God towards others. They weren't adhering to rules or religion or taxes, or any of those things. They were just being spontaneous. God laid something on their hearts and they responded to it. See, my giving is not to make me feel good. Our giving is to just simply give glory to God. This is the heart of God. This is who God is. And one thing I can say with confidence for all of us, whenever we hear a story of outrageous generosity, I think it puts a smile on our face. Right? There's something inside of every human being that goes, that's awesome, that's wonderful. Regardless of where that story comes from, we all are inspired by generosity. And generosity reflects the heart of God. Kingdom communities are marked by financial generosity that is radically spontaneous and sacrificial. Because that's who God is. It's an expression of God's goodness. It's a response not to all the things God has given us. It's a response to new life in Christ. That's what it is a response to. And recognizing God's grace poured out on us. So as I said, at some point we're all going to be in need. So a number of years ago we moved from California. We were going to grad school. We, go to, we go, moved to Calgary to start a church. And we're poor graduates. We have student loans. And uh, we're working under one salary uh, my wife, Gwen, is helping start the church, and she's taking care of the kids, and, and I have this, uh, you know, church planter salary, and, and life is tight. And when we came out of school, our student loan was $16,000 American. Now, our school gave interest-free loans, which was awesome, 
but the exchange rate in 1994 was 35 cents on the dollar. So my 16,000 turned to 21,000. And we're kind of just scraping by trying to pay this thing. And you know, you watch the exchange rates every day when you're having those payments, wondering what that's going to turn into. I get a phone call one day from a friend. And my friend who didn't attend our church, he calls me up and he said, uh, how much do you owe on that student loan? I'm like, why? <laughs> just tell me. Okay, you know, embarrassing. $7,000 American. Okay, can you send me the details of who you owe the money to and the account number? Why? Because I'm taking over your payments until it's done. So two, two reactions. The inside is the happy dance going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? The other side is going, no, you don't have to do that. I can take care of myself. Right? I'm a proud, independent, individualistic Canadian. <laughs> the other side's going, what are you doing? Listen to him. <laughs> right? So he and I have this conversation. And he says, I'm not doing this because of your need. I'm doing this because the Spirit of God prompted me to do this. So your pride is getting in the way of what God is doing. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I had to be humbled. I actually was pushing away God's grace, trying to deny our need. And so at the end of the day, my friend could walk in obedience. We benefited from his obedience with a very practical need being met. I had to grow in my humility in receiving that need because we were in need and both of us lived in joy and gave glory to God. See, that's how God works. That's how God works in a spontaneous, spirit-filled, engaged community. We take care of each other. And it shows up in the most practical of ways. Also, when we engage in spirit-filled community, we choose to spend time together. A lot. Why do I say that? Verses 46 and 47 of Acts chapter 2. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together... And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So these people worship together. It says they're in the synagogue regularly. They're in each other's homes regularly. Right? They had community regularly. And they ate together regularly. Like Maybe you thought food was just a Willingdon thing or a Mennonite thing. It's not. It's a God thing, actually. That's what food actually is. Right? Mark of great community is to eat together. And I know of no better way to get to know each other, to have community, than actually share meals together, to invite someone into your home and say, let's eat together. Throughout biblical history, they ate, right? Every feast, you look at what they did. There was huge meals every time God celebrated something. And they're long, like they're week long or longer. I remember being a kid and I had Jewish friends at school. It's like, I want to become a Jew. Like these guys miss so much school. And they party so much. I was like, I want to be, their table's having more fun than our table, right? I want to be with them. Because that's who God is. That's who God is. That's what God's people do. I mean, I love that so many of our life groups meet for food, either before or after they meet. You know, when we, when we meet together as elders monthly, we start with food to share life together. When Alpha starts in the evening, it starts with food because that's how you build relationship. Friends, Jesus is about potlucks. Potlucks. 
They were his idea. That's the reality. They got together. And we know that they shared communion in these contexts regularly. They didn't come to church and had, you know, a thimble of juice and a little cracker. Usually it was part of their meals. And they did it regularly. We do it once a month. But I'm happy when I hear about life groups doing that together to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, and the beauty and wonder of the cross and the filling of the Holy Spirit. What were the impact of this? This lifestyle they had, these relationships they had. First, it says they experienced joy and praised God for what was happening. They celebrated together. It's the first thing they did. They would get together and they would tell the stories of what God is doing. They would pray for each other. They would share the awe-inspiring experiences. They would share the places of pain and struggle because they, like us, would have had the full range of experience every day. It's not that every day was an awe-inspiring experience. Some days were just hard. That's the reality. But it said they celebrated together. Secondly, it says that they had the favor of all the people because all the people watched this and said, that is amazing. That is contagious. That is wonderful. Seeing transformation happen. That's what it means, the people of God together. We changed our name from small group to life groups because small just describes how many people are there. Life is what you do together. Life group is intended to be a place where you study the Bible. Life group is intended to be a place where you do life together in terms of sharing relationship. Life group is a place where you help each other, where you walk together, where you share your best moments and your worst moments together. That's why it's called a life group. That's the intent of what it means to do life together, to be encouraged together. That's why we also encourage people uh, to meet in homes rather than in the church. I think an overcrowded condo or an overcrowded home is always better than a cold and clinical classroom. When you walk into someone's home, they are gracing you with sharing their life with you. And I've heard people say, oh, my place is too small or my place is this or my place is that. I'd say, it doesn't matter. I'd rather have you sweating in a box that's too small than being in a cold and clinical classroom because it shares life together. We get a glimpse into each other's hearts and minds and story. I think that's why the book of Hebrews said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more as you see Christ returning. And as people witnessed this, they had the favor of all people. Why? Because they were expressing love for one another. In the book of John, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People who are discovering the beauty of Jesus are the most attractive people because they recognize God's grace. It breaks the barriers of pride. It opens the door of graciousness and generosity. And that is always attractive, friends. When the church loves one another, I think the world looks at that and goes, isn't that what you're supposed to be doing? Isn't that what I read about when I open up the book? When we're fighting with one another, with one another this, the world goes, wait a minute, isn't, that's not what Jesus talked about. Right? So these people did that. They had the favor of all the people. 
And then lastly, when we engage in spirit-filled community, God will work through us to impact others. When we engage in spirit-filled community, God will work through us to impact others. The simple definition of a disciple is someone who has met Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and leading others to Jesus. That's simply what a disciple is. Someone who has met Jesus, new life in Christ. Someone who's being changed, ongoing, becoming more like Jesus, and just pointing other people to him as we experience God's goodness in God's grace. Why? Because we can't help it. When we experience Jesus, it oozes out of us. It just oozes out of us. And, ver- and the second half of verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 said, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That was the reality as people interacted with this spirit-filled community, as in- these people were engaged with each other. That was the natural result of that experience happening. The other day I went for coffee with a friend whose life has been turned upside down by Jesus in the last year, year and a half. And uh, I love spending time with him because he is so contagious. Uh, he's a realtor by trade. And, and uh, I love what he says. He says, I don't really care about selling homes, but you know, if people want to list with me, that gives me a chance to tell them about Jesus. So they come to sell a house, but that's not what they really need. They need Jesus. So I'll put up with the real, with the real estate stuff because I get to tell them about Jesus. And I just love it because he just oozes. It's like life is so different because of how God has transformed him, how he has experienced the reality of Christ. Like two minutes, three minutes of conversation and you know, you know that, that, what, where that joy comes from. The reality of that experience. Uh, recently we were training some people for something new we're doing called Freedom Session. And Freedom Session is basically learning what it means to be a disciple of Christ and having Christ then work his healing reality deep into our, our pain, our issues, our relationships. And it's this 28-week program. And, and we have a bunch of people who have been through it who are now going to be leading it. And I always say they're Freedom Session evangelists because if you say to them, you know, you go, well, why should I go to Freedom Session? Why should you go? I'll tell you why should you, you should go. It's changed my life completely because now I understand how Jesus works in my life and he's healed my And it's just kind of like, whoa, okay, 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 I get it. Right? Because they've experienced the power of Christ through this vehicle. And they go, this should be normal. This is normal for everybody. Transformation. Deeply engaged community. Through the power of the Spirit and the person of Jesus. So, imagine. Imagine life groups all over the lower mainland living this infectious, engaged kind of life where we are walking together in community. We're taking care of each other. We're praying and stepping out in faith for the awe-inspiring to happen. We're helping each other materially. We're helping each other relationally. We're walking together. We're eating together. We're being infectious communities. We're inviting people into our homes, whether they be big or small, and creating communities of the King. Remember when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray? He said, pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And think about that prayer. What's in heaven? Is there pain in heaven? Is there disease in heaven? Is there poverty in heaven? Like think about everything that plagues us. Is it in heaven? No. Jesus said, I want you to pray that that would become real here. 
And if he told us to pray it, then he expects us to do it. And as Christ followers, you are filled with the spirit of God. And wherever you are, the kingdom of God is going forward. And so you live out a kingdom life as described in Acts chapter 2. That is what God's called us to do. Will will we experience it fully here on earth? No, that won't happen until Jesus comes back. But through his people, he will make his kingdom manifest on this earth. That's the normal Christian life that he calls us to. So I'm not sure what he's calling you to this morning. You know, what would it look like for you to step into this experience more fully? Maybe it means taking the simple step and joining a life group, saying, no, I've been on my own. I'm fine being independent, even though it's not what Jesus calls us to. Take a step and join a life group. Maybe you're in a life group and you say, and God's prompting and say, actually, I want you to lead one. We have way more people who want to be in groups than we can, than we can uh, meet the need. We need leaders. Maybe saying, join a discipleship group, which, which is just a group of two or three to grow in faith. And there's booklets out in the lobby that tell you how to do that. Maybe he's telling you to step up. Maybe saying step out in faith. I want you to pray. Pray for the miraculous. Pray for faith because faith begets faith. Maybe he's prompting you to be generous, to be spontaneous, sacrificially generous, to sell something or just to give support. Maybe it means you give it to the benevolence fund because those are things that we, those, that's money that we give that doesn't, uh, that just goes to needs as they walk in our door as people struggle with food or with rent or with, uh, you know, the boiler or the, the furnace that breaks down and they can't fix it. Maybe it means giving need anonymously to someone directly, to supplying that need. Just because the Spirit of God prompts you. Because all you're asked to do is to obey the prompting of the Spirit, just like Christina did when she was asked to get on her knees. Maybe it means if you're here this morning, you're not a Christ follower, you sign up for Alpha, you sign up for Discovering Jesus to find out what it means to be part of a spirit-filled, engaged community. Maybe it means you come to base camp. We advertise base camp, and Jeff is a great speaker, and he's going to talk about what does it mean to be God's people in community and give the examples from the community he's a part of in Bellevue, Washington, where they've been working at this for years. And maybe take time and set apart time to come to that in a couple of weeks to say, how does this look in my world? Because if you're a Christ follower, I think all of us read Acts chapter 2, and we go, I want that. I want to be a part of that, and that's what God desires for you and for me. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, I thank you for your miraculous work in this world, and I thank you that you continue to do the awe-inspiring. You continue to create communities of the King. You continue to call us to countercultural engaged, spirit-filled community life. You continue to call us to lay down our fears, to lay down our inhibitions, to lay down our insecurities, and to find our identity in you, to find life in you, to find kingdom community in you. Because that is where there is hope. That is where there is community. That is where there is life. That is where your spirit is working. So Father, you know what our fears and inhibitions are. You know what our pushback is. You know our Canadian independent, self-sufficient way of life that we somehow think comes from you, but it doesn't. And Father, I know we long to be part of true community. We long to be accepted for who we are. That's a basic longing you put in each one of us. So Father, I pray 
that as we go from this place, we will listen to your spirit promptings and we will step out, whether it's to training, whether it's to community engagement, whether it's to opening our home, whether it's to being spontaneous, sacrificially generous. Father, guide us in this. And Father, for people here who don't know you this morning, your invitation is to come, to be part of the community, to find new life in you. And I pray they would seek that out, to go and talk to a pastor, go to the Welcome Center, go to the Prayer Center, and ask the question, how do I become part of the family of God? Father, your invitation to us is clear, is gracious, is wonderful, and I pray that we would live out these kingdom realities. May your kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. In your name I pray. Amen.